The reason we were doing all these stories and these investigations was to draw attention of our government and our policymakers that uh, that this is a danger. It is the most trafficked mammal now, and uh, and you better take notice because soon they'll be extinct. I think it's really important to uh, to spread the story about pangolin uh, smuggling because people often underlook this. They don't really see this fact because they more drawn to like elephant or rhinos or tiger, bigger mammals. But this is also an important story to tell. Sure, it's not the end of the world, but it's something very beautiful and something has gone missing. And we should try our best to, to keep these things alive. To, to continue this heritage so that the next generation can see it and marvel at it and wonder at it the same way that we have the chance to do. Those were the voices of journalists who have been following the illegal trafficking of the highly endangered pangolin across Asia. These dedicated reporters have gone undercover to order pangolins at restaurants, meet with pangolin trafficking crime lords, and spoken with jailed teenagers caught in the web of smuggling. Together, we've tracked down the vulnerable pangolins lost in the midst of this worldwide illegal trade network. And now, what's next? Welcome to Sustainable Asia. I'm Marcy Trent Long. This is Season 7, The Pangolin Reports. Bonnie, a Hong Kong-based journalist, and I are back for the final episode of this season. It's been quite a journey, Bonnie, right? Yes, indeed. May I also say a big thank you to all our listeners who've been taking this journey with us. It's definitely been quite a roller coaster ride. So we launched a series on World Pangolin Day, which was on February the 15th, right in the middle of the coronavirus crisis here in Asia. Just two weeks later, the World Health Organization declared it a global health emergency. And also around the same time, researchers discovered a coronavirus similar to COVID-19 in pangolins, suggesting that they could be responsible for the virus leap to humans. So China announced a suspension of wildlife trade across the country and started a process for amending the current wildlife protection law to ban the trade and consumption of wild animal meat. We're going to dig deeper into how the trade ban may affect pangolins later in this episode. But before that, let's take a look at the fate of live pangolins captured by Chinese authorities. Jiaming Xu, a lead reporter for the Pangolin Reports that we met in earlier episodes, introduced us to Sophia Zhang. She works with the local NGO called China Biodiversity Conservation and Green Development Foundation, one of the oldest conservation groups in China, and one of the very few that work with pangolins. They also have 280,000 followers on Weibo, a Chinese social media platform. Sophia's passion for saving the pangolins has dubbed her the Pangolin Girl in China. Her devotion to the pangolins actually started during her first encounter back in 2017. Before I saw a live pangolin, I thought it would be a cold-blooded animal like a reptile. 
I mean, they only go out at night, and they are solitary animals, and they have all those scales. I also imagined pangolin would be aggressive. The first time I touched its belly, the temperature, the warmth of its scales were very pleasant. I didn't realize it's such a shy animal. Like when you touch it, it immediately curls up into a ball, and then it just ignores you. It probably thinks it is the best way to protect itself, but it makes it really easy for humans to pick them up and just take them off. Sometimes it got frightened even by the sound of a plastic bag, and it would tremble. I never expected them to be so sensitive. Sophia's involvement with the penguins started when her supervisor asked if anyone on her team wanted to be in charge of a penguin rescue project. And she was the only one who put her hand up to do it. In 2017, Chinese authorities seized a batch of 34 Malayan pangolins smuggled into the country from Southeast Asia. These pangolins had been badly treated by illegal traders. They'd been overfed, highly stressed, and infected with diseases. Sophia and her organization had requested to get involved in the rescue, but were denied. And within two months, all the pangolins had died. Pangolins are very sensitive animals. Studies have shown they're unlikely to survive for more than six months in captivity. But Sophia and her organization also had doubts about how the pangolins have been treated. In China, if customs or the police seize a live pangolin, the animal must be transferred to the forestry department. Which is then responsible for its care and for keeping its records on its treatment and its fate. These records are not made public, and NGOs like the Green Development Foundation want more transparency. They want to find out what happens to the pangolins after they're seized. When they received news of the death of the 34 pangolins, the Green Development Foundation filed a lawsuit asking for these records to be released. The court handed down a ruling which requires the government to disclose these treatment records within a legal deadline. The Green Development Foundation has also filed another lawsuit against Guangxi's forestry department and other affiliated organizations for mishandling the pangolins. The case is currently still ongoing, and one of the government's defense was that they found out the pangolins carried unknown pathogens, and that they should not be released into the wild. Two years later, in 2019, another batch of 21 Malayan pangolins was confiscated by customs in Guangdong. 18 of these captured pangolins died within a month. This time, the forestry department allowed the Green Development Foundation to help care for the three remaining pangolins that survived. Sophia went to see them in Guangzhou, where they were kept in a zoo. She was joined by Jia Mingxu, the lead reporter of the Pangolin Reports. In me. When I saw the live pangolin in Guangzhou, you could really tell the pangolin was suffering. Its living conditions were poor, and rescuer had to remove ticks from its body. I also saw the pangolin shivered, especially when the rescuers applied medication to its body. The pangolin even shed tears, and because it's a mammal, you know it has feelings. They kept pangolins in an area where it was originally for monitoring lizards. The conditions just weren't suitable for pangolins. We urged them to allow the pangolins to be rehabilitated in a wild environment, which they allowed in the end. 
So this joint operation was the very first time Chinese authorities had allowed an NGO to get involved with seized captive live pangolins. And because the zoo was not a suitable environment for the pangolins, Sophia went to scout for another place for them to rehabilitate. The ideal habitat for them would be somewhere with thick soil, proper forest coverage, and somewhere with little human interference. There also needed to be plenty of ants and termites that they could feed on, and she found a spot nearby in the outskirts of Guangzhou. With the ultimate goal of releasing the pangolins back into the wild, we first transferred them from the zoo to one of our centers, so they could rehabilitate in a suitable natural environment. That was May 19th. But then on July 4th, the authorities decided that they wouldn't allow the pangolins to be released into the wild. They took them away. So why did the authorities take away the pangolins? Well, there is quite a controversial issue behind all of this. While the authorities had agreed to allow Sophia and her team to help with the rehabilitation of the pangolins, they were reluctant with her plan to release the pangolins into the wild. Surely, releasing them back into the wild would be the ideal situation for them. As we said earlier, pangolins are unlikely to survive for more than six months in confined captivity. So if we look at these specific pangolins, they are actually Malayan pangolins, which originated in Southeast Asia. And so they're not native to China. Experts say that it will affect the natural habitat of native pangolins if alien pangolins are released into their environment. However, Sophia's NGO argued that Chinese pangolins are functionally extinct in China, meaning the species has no more record of existence and no longer plays a significant role in the ecosystem. And so they believe that releasing these non-native species would therefore not be a problem. The argument exploded in quite a nasty way on Chinese social media. Many claim that the reasoning from the Green Development Foundation lacked thorough scientific proof. It's interesting because I was under the impression that Chinese pangolins have not actually been officially declared extinct. That is true, but they are categorized as critically endangered on the IUCN Red List, which is the internationally recognized system for assessing species facing the threat of extinction. And why are they endangered? Well, in part because they don't survive or breed well in captivity. They only give birth once a year, and wild Chinese pangolins have been poached extensively for their meat and scales. So what happened next with Sophia and the pangolins? Since the pangolins were given back to the authorities, Sophia has heard no more updates from them. There was another case that same year, this time in southwest China's Yunnan province. A local department called upon Sophia and her organization to help when the wild Malayan pangolin was found astray. Sophia then headed to China's famous Xishuang Banna Nature Reserve to see this rescued pangolin that they named Four Days. It was called Four Days because it hadn't had food or water for an entire four days. And again, Sophia suggested rewilding the pangolin. And after consulting with experts, the authorities decided to let her do it. Here we have Sophia at the nature reserve, and she has been watching the pangolin for hours, and it hadn't moved at all. 
She said four days has been sleeping for the whole day. And around 8 p.m., it finally left them and off to somewhere into the wild. It also ate the ants they prepared before shoveling off into the bushes. And just like that, four days was released back into the wild to live, we hope, a happy life. We'll be right back. We couldn't produce this podcast without the generous support of our sponsors, Media X. Media X is in Hong Kong cultivating Asia's next generation of media innovators and entrepreneurs. Media X is based out of the Journalism and Media Studies Center at the University of Hong Kong, where Sustainable Asia is also recorded. Also, a quick plug for our media partners, China Dialogue. The China Dialogue bilingual website offers informative discussions on China and the environment, including the show notes for this podcast in Mandarin and English. They're VPN-free in China and have an active WeChat group. Now back to Season 7, The Pangolin Reports. Before the break, the Malayan pangolin Four Days was released back into the wild. Sophia and her organization are keen to rescue every single pangolin they can. But with pangolins facing extinction, more needs to happen if we're going to save these amazing animals. Yes, and more may indeed be happening. As we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, because of the coronavirus outbreak, China announced the suspension of all wildlife trade and the consumption of wildlife meat. The ban meant that markets across the country selling species ranging from civet cats to pangolins were shut down, including the Wuhan wet market where live pangolins were advertised for sale. In previous coronavirus outbreaks, humans contracted the virus after direct exposure to wildlife, most likely in these kinds of markets. For instance, SARS was traced to wet markets in southern China, where the coronavirus jumped from bats to live civet cats and then onto humans. So bats are, are very common natural reservoirs for coronaviruses, including SARS. And what I mean by natural reservoir is that they, these viruses kind of circulate naturally within bat populations. This is Dr. Tim Bonebreak, an associate professor and conservation biologist at the University of Hong Kong. Now, civets were in, often in Hong Kong and in China, were in very poor conditions and, and wet markets, were kept alive. And as a consequence, they become very sickly. And if there are bats nearby, um, then if that virus could potentially be passed on to that civet, then it's in the civet and then people get it from the civet. So I think that's kind of where people are suggesting that penguins could potentially be an intermediate host. But again, it's there's basically, as far as I know, no evidence that that's actually the case. Civet cats are not natural hosts to the SARS coronavirus. Horseshoe bats are. Scientists are inconclusive exactly how SARS jumped from bats to civet cats. But during the SARS outbreak, researchers discovered a high quantity of the coronavirus on civet cat cages in the markets. And when civet cats were removed from the wet markets, the infection dramatically decreased in other wildlife there, 
which maybe is linked to the 2004 slowdown of the SARS epidemic. But wild animals continue to be sold in wet markets in China and around the world. So it follows that Tim also said that the COVID-19 outbreak is no surprise. So I've been teaching conservation biology here at Hong Kong U for for seven or eight years. Um, And every single year, I've taught about SARS and talked about what happened with SARS, where it came from, the link between human and wildlife interactions, and how SARS originated from that, those links. Every single year, I've said, we we need to make sure that we mitigate those risks. Otherwise, it's going to happen again. And I've been saying that for, and here we are. I think the reason I, I, I bring that up is it's this is predictable, degrading nature in a way that puts us at risk for these kinds of um, pandemics. And I, I hope I hope we've learned our lesson. Tim expects that if we continue as we are, we will see more diseases spread from wildlife to humans. For him, this means that we not only need to revisit how we handle wildlife, we also need to stop degrading the environment and respect wildlife in its natural habitat. We need to leave these pangolins in the wild. As long as we leave pangolins in the wild, then there's very, very little risk of any kind of spillover from pangolins to humans. So hopefully the wildlife trade ban in China, along with the fear of the coronavirus, will drive people away from consuming pangolins. So that could be a positive step forward, right, Bonnie? Well, maybe. That's if China can actually enforce it, because there are different opinions on China's ability to do this. But regardless, the decision was welcomed by conservationists like Astrid Anderson. They should be congratulated. Astrid is a researcher at the Conservation Forensics Laboratory at the University of Hong Kong. She also believes that before you can stop wildlife consumption, you have to determine what it really means. I think that this, unfortunately, this coronavirus outbreak has kind of brought out a bit of prejudice that we have globally because bushmeat is something that happens in a lot of places. I think it depends how you define wildlife that's being consumed because is, does that mean it hasn't come from a farm? Because a lot of the the wildlife that was being consumed in the Wuhan market, like snakes, raccoon dogs, crocodiles, that type of thing, often they come from farms. There are these types of markets in India and in countries in Africa, in Southeast Asia, in Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Philippines. And even in the West, we consume wildlife. You know, in England, you consume hares or pheasants or boars. In Sweden, we eat moose and we eat whale and stuff. So where are the the parameters? Astrid's point here is that it's not just China that consumes unconventional animals. Her thoughts about setting the parameters are important. Because only if we have clearly defined terms can we have a standardized guideline to enforce the law effectively. Yes, but the bottom line is there's only so much the law can do. The only way you can really stop something like this is by changing people's minds. But how do you do that? We talked about this a little bit in episode one when we spoke to Wander Meyer from Globescan a global market research company that also utilizes their expertise to help stop wildlife trade. What we do with our research is to understand the consumers, in this case, of these pangolin products. We understand why they're buying, where they're buying. We give the insights uh, how we can change it to our clients, which are environmental NGOs. 
make their campaigns, and we try to make the campaigns as effective as possible. Wander describes this demarketing technique, a method that deters people from buying an item, the actual complete opposite of marketing. He uses the illegal ivory trade to illustrate. There's two reasons how to, you can deter people to buying ivory. The one is the legal part. It's illegal and you go to jail. So that's touching the mind. Yeah, that's influencing the mind. That is, in our view, according to our research, delivers the quickest bang for the buck. The other part is more a long-term perspective. It's changing the hearts of people to say, actually, when you buy ivory, you create cruelty. Elephants are social animals. They are cruelly killed, but also it may even lead to extinction. So to put this in a nutshell, by understanding the motivations behind consumer behavior, governments and conservationists can then advertise with both of these strategies to discourage people from wanting to buy or eat pangolins. Okay, so I think we have gone through quite a lot in this episode, and it's about time to wrap up. So we had an emotional start with Sophia and Jiaming describing the experiences working in China with pangolins in captivity. Yeah, and research has shown that pangolins don't do well in captivity. But releasing smuggled foreign pangolins back into the wild in China might not be the answer either. Whatever the case, more transparency regarding the fate of seized live pangolins in China and more dialogue between the authorities and NGOs like Sophia's Green Development Foundation can only help. Through our discussions with Tim and Astrid, we were reminded that keeping pangolins in the wild is also the best way to ensure that infectious diseases like the coronavirus don't jump from wildlife to humans, because there will be less contact between the two. Finally, we brought out the challenge of defining the term wildlife because it could vary from country to country. We always like to end our seasons with a quote, and in this case, we'll finish off the way we started with Jiaming Xu of the Pangolin Reports. While he was undercover in Tachilik, Myanmar, visiting restaurants that served pangolins, he noticed something different, something that highlights a theme for us throughout this series, that conservation laws, in the end, are just not enough. I think the easiest way to solve the problem is through education for the next generation. They should not think consuming pangolins is something cool to do. In fact, a lot of people I saw in Daxili were young people. This is the end of Sustainable Asia podcast, Season 7, The Pangolin Reports. Thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. We produce this series in collaboration with China Dialogue and The Pangolin Reports. The season was hosted by me, Marcy Trent Long, and co-hosted by Bonnie Ao. Bonnie Ao produced the series with an assistant producer, Amber Ho. Sound engineering by Chris Wood. A big thank you to our voiceovers, Jack Lau as Jiaming and Amber Ho as Sophia. We couldn't do this podcast without the great behind-the-scenes efforts of our Sustainable Asia team, Josie Chan, Crystal Wu, Su Laying Ng, Yufei Wu, Jill Baxter, and Sam Columby. Alexander Mobison created the intro-outro music made from repurposed and recovered waste items. You can find his work on www.klover.net. 
Subscribe to our podcast for more content and share our podcast with your friends if you support our work. To find out more about us, visit our website, sustainableasia.co, or follow us on Twitter at Sustainable Asia or Facebook, Sustainable Asia Co.